Welcome to Sales in the Subscription Economy, Season 1, Episode 4. I'm Amanda Northcutt of SubscriptionCoach.com, and my guest today is Mike Brower, Chief Customer Officer at Maxwell. Mike has over 20 years of sales experience, has held three VP of sales positions, and is now in the C-suite at Maxwell, headquartered in Denver, Colorado. Maxwell, founded in 2015, is an enterprise SaaS solution that empowers lending professionals to make mortgage lending simpler and more accessible. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Amanda. Really appreciate it and uh, very excited to uh, uh, spend some time with you today. Fantastic. We're excited to have you and for you to share some sales wisdom with us today. And with that, let's dive into the 12 questions. First off, tell us a little bit more about your sales career, where you've been, how you got to where you are now, and a bit about Maxwell. Yeah, you bet. So um, my very first sales job was uh, when I was in college uh, in, in during the summers. I sold steaks, seafood, and chicken door to door. Wow, uh, which was was quite the uh, introduction into sales. And uh, what what I enjoyed about it uh, was that there was true technique, that there was a, a, a philosophy or a methodology uh, that you could learn and improve on, and that uh, each part of the sales process was kind of its own piece to execute on and, and, and to get better at. And uh, so really enjoyed doing it and uh, moved out to Colorado uh, back in January of 1999 and uh, started to work as a sales rep for a greeting card company. Um, was very, very fortunate to have two um, unbelievable mentors there at, at the greeting card company. And, and I was promoted into sales leadership I ran outside sales and then eventually ran their inside sales function as well. And uh, these mentors helped me uh, cut my teeth in sales leadership and how to get results through others and, and how to be a really good partner uh, for, for others. So then finally, um, had a recruiter that kept saying, hey, you got to check out this technology company. And I had no interest in leading a, a, a SaaS or subscription-based uh, 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 sales organization. And um, and finally she talked me into interviewing with a company and, and I did so and, um, got my first, um, sales leadership role with a technology firm and, and with a subscription, uh, a SaaS subscription based, uh, a platform. Um, and have been in that ever since. So, uh, was fortunate enough to, to partner with really good folks and great sales professionals and, uh, have just enjoyed, uh, helping others reach their goals and, in owning more and more of the revenue function uh, within an organization. Very nice. Um, sounds like you really had your feet held to the fire there selling um, steak and seafood at people's front doors. That's um, a way to get your sales chops quick and in a hurry. And I'm also kind of sensing a trend as I do, the, do these interviews of, you know, people having key mentor, mentorship um, early on in their careers and that really being a huge accelerator um, for kind of putting them on a positive trajectory. So that's really cool that you had that experience as well. Um, tell us a bit more about Maxwell. Yeah, Ma Maxwell, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, it was founded in, in 2015. Uh, we sell to uh, small and mid-sized lenders. Those are uh, banking institutions, credit unions, uh, independent mortgage uh, firms. And our technology is really the front end uh, a process that a consumer and a lender would manage that mortgage process uh, within it uh, creates all kinds of efficiencies and and allows for a a, a better uh, customer experience and uh, cuts many days down in the time it takes to go through uh, what is an antiquated and archaic uh, process 
uh, which is is getting a, a, a mortgage. So um, it's been exciting to to see us grow. We've um, we've uh, grown leaps and bounds uh, since since I joined the organization and was growing prior to me uh, joining. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a, a market that we're able to disrupt uh, with technology, and uh, and it's it, it's super exciting uh, to to see the results with with our customers as they go through the the customer journey with us for sure. Yeah, that's great. And um, I will definitely plug Maxwell. I have a close friend that works there and has for a few years now. And um, just the the world revolves around the customer at Maxwell and the innovation you guys, I won't spill the beans on anything that's coming out or anything. I probably don't even have the right information, but um, what you guys are doing right now and what you're moving toward is really, really, really exciting. And I don't know of anybody else that's doing that. So if you're in the market for this kind of a tool, um, definitely check Maxwell out. But anyway, enough about that. Um, Tell me what sources you rely on to stay up to date on the sales and sales management profession. And that could be anything from books, blogs, podcasts, conferences, and so on. Yeah. And I I will tell you that my newest uh, uh, content that I leverage is is, uh, through your organization and sales in the subscription economy. I I love how you boil down all the relevant information out there on a weekly basis. And so I've been leveraging the daylights out of that, uh, and so thank you very much. <laughs> you make you you make my learning curve uh, much better and easier and more efficient for sure. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, a- absolutely, and I lo- love what you're doing. Um, I also uh, there's there's a series of podcasts by a gentleman by the name of Colin Stewart. He's with uh, the organization Predictable Revenue. Yeah, and uh, I I follow those on on a regular basis and and consume. Uh, those uh, episodes. Um, there's also a gentleman out of Canada. His name's Paul Madat, and he's with an organization called Soar Selling, okay. uh, S-O-A-R. And uh, his podcasts are, are really interesting topics. Um, when I think about just early stage companies, startups, uh, and, and I start thinking broader about go-to-market strategies, um, I subscribe to a gentleman by the name of Thomas. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Tung, Tung, it's T-U-N-G-U-Z. Okay. Uh, he, he does a, a daily uh, a blog. He's a venture capitalist at, at Redpoint and um, has a lot of really relevant and creative information around go-to-market strategies. Um, and the last thing I'll mention is that I've been very blessed and fortunate to have a strong network of, of sales leaders uh, that I connect with on a regular basis. And I learn from them and what they're doing and, and where they're being successful and where they've tried things and failed. And I often believe you, you learn far more from your failure, failures than successes. So I feel really fortunate to have the uh, network of, of great sales leaders that I get to lean on. Oh, that's really fantastic. Those are great answers. I haven't heard of Source Selling or Thomas Tungus. So I've, I've Googled both of those and I'll link to them in the show notes. Those sound like great resources. Um, what about all-time favorite business books? Yeah, my number one, because I've lived in the early stage and growth stage technology world for quite a while. Um, hard thing, the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz mm-hmm. is by far my, my favorite, um, all time favorite business book. I've read just about, um, everything, uh, all the different sales methodologies and, and, uh, and anything I can get my hands on around that. But as far as just a, um, uh, the single most impactful and most interesting, uh, business book I've read. That's that's number one. Um, the other comment I'll make is 
although this is not a, a quote business book per se, but I always recommend to people who never read The Millionaire Next Door. Mm -hmm. It's a book, book by Thomas Stanley and, and William uh, Donko, I believe is the other author. Mm -hmm. uh, that book just on a personal kind of financial, uh, uh, personal finances and how you think about uh, building uh, uh, wealth and safety nets and, and those sort of things uh, absolutely changed my life at a young age. Oh yeah, that's a fantastic, fantastic one to read um, in your twenties for sure. That's a classic, and I'll uh, also link to the hard thing about hard things. Another great one in the show notes as well. Um, all right, how have you found running, or have you found running a sales team and recurring revenue organization different than a traditional one-time transaction sale? Why or why not? Yeah, I've absolutely found it different. Uh, the main area uh, to me, recurring revenue uh, tends to mean or correlate with a much more um, solution selling approach. <clears throat> and I know people talk about solution selling all the time. And once again, there's all kinds of different methodologies out there. When I boil it down, because I, I boil things down to its most simplistic form, uh, because that's the only way I understand things. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, what, what, that what solution selling really means is that you deeply understand the problems or goals of the prospect and, and you, you put a ton of emphasis on the front end, <coughs> excuse me, of the sales process, the, the discovery phase. Mm -hmm. and, and that to me is the major difference versus uh, uh, selling a, a one-time uh, item or a one-time sort of revenue um, transaction. Okay, fantastic. Um, and now we're recording this in the time of coronavirus and in light of that, what changes to your projections, strategy, and sales tactics have you guys at Maxwell made in light of the economic challenges brought on by COVID-19? Yeah, that's a great question. And before the call, you and I were just talking about what a, what a different environment this is. And um, so first and foremost, we, we have downgraded uh, our revenue projections and we've increased um, our, our churn uh, project, uh, projections. Mm. Um, I, I really felt it was important as a business leader during an unprecedented time that anybody's uh, uh, prediction on the economic impact of this is um, at best an educated guess. Yeah. And so I think it's important to be super conservative and to assume that the impact is gonna be massive. And of course, if we're wrong, then that's a really good thing. Right. But if you plan for minimal impact and it winds up being far greater, then that puts you and your company in, in a really tough spot. Um, so as far as strategies and tactics from a sales front, we focused on keeping things simple and doing the basics really well. Um, a great example of that is really honing in on, and these are all basic kind of 101 things, but always make sure you have a next step on the calendar. Um, yes. in any mm -hmm. engagements, right? Uh, mm -hmm. um, really understanding the goals of the stakeholder, um, understand the motivations of the influencers uh, in your sales engagement. Uh, it, it's just doing the, the basic things really, really well. I love that. Um, nothing like a massive crisis to take you back to the fundamentals of selling. And I love that you mentioned um, esta always establishing a next step. I feel like that's often missed. Like we all know that as sales professionals, but um, 
I don't know, that often gets missed and that hasn't been mentioned yet in the podcast. So I really like that you guys are taking it back to the basics and making sure you're covering all your bases and um, doing that really in-depth discovery process, like you mentioned in the question before. So yeah, the, the one comment I'll, I'll make there is for any sales leaders listening to this, um, if you think or if you just assume your sales team is always getting that next step on the calendar as an example, um, mm -hmm. chances are if you really dig into it, you're, you, you may be wrong. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, uh, it, it's really important to do the fundamentals uh, very, very well at this point. Yes, absolutely. And your answer might be similar um, to this question as it was the previous, but what's your best advice for sales teams competing in the subscription economy right now, given the sudden economic down, downturn, other yeah. than going back to the basics? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think you have to lead with empathy. Um, when, when you get on a call with, with a, a, a prospective customer, um, they are going through the same challenges and emotional roller coaster and anxiety and uncertainty that you are. And so <clears throat> I think it's important um, to connect with a place uh, from a place of empathy. And so uh, that's, that's really, really important during this time. And then focusing on, on your strengths as a, platform is a product is a sales team and doubling down on those strengths that's that's uh what, what i think in this current um environment is super important love that fantastic answer um how does how is cross-departmental communication handled at maxwell for instance how intertwined is sales with product marketing and customer success yeah and that, that my answer to this is is um learning from past experiences and past failures around this and the, the major downstream impact it has. Um, I, I will say at Maxwell, and I think a number of the leadership there has come from organizations where we've learned the hard lessons around this. Mm. Um, so we've done a, a, a phenomenal job. It's one of our strengths as a company uh, with, with internal communication. We focus on company-wide communication and doing it really, really well. Sales is, is locked up with marketing here. Uh, we, we do many joint campaigns together. Um, the, myself and the marketing leader uh, are, are measured and compensated on the same metrics. And that was something that was really important to me. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so uh, our product leadership is very uh, engaged in, in, uh, in, in focusing. Matter of fact, we invite them to a lot of our sales calls um, as a company-wide kind of macro level uh, during this, this quote new normal where everybody's working remote. Mm -hmm. um, we've changed our company communication uh, strategy and, and plans to adapt to it. So <clears throat> we do three company-wide meetings a week, um, one on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Wow. Um, we, we're doing a, a lot more company-wide uh, uh, communication, uh, and, and focusing on over communicating because of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of the current situation. So, um, that's, that's an area that I think in Maxwell, as far as looking back on my career to date, um, we, we Maxwell does it the very best out of any place I've been at. Mm, that's a really fantastic. That's a great endorsement. I'm sure that you've been able to bring your wealth of knowledge and experience to the table here as well. I mean, Maxwell is a relatively young organization and it's great that you guys are honing in on those processes 
um, you know, from the, from the get go, I'm sure that's going to pay off big time as you guys continue to grow and scale. And I love that. It sounds like, you know, marketing has some skin in the game and is compensated at a rate commensurate with their, their goals and expectations. And, um, that's, still kind of rare, uh, which I find incredible. I feel like I could make a case for almost anyone to be paid on commission on some level. Um, so I love that. I had no idea that you guys did that and uh, cool that everybody's on board. That's something everybody else could learn from y'all. Way to go. Yeah. yeah, it works out really, really well. Yeah. All right, next question. In what ways are individual me members of the sales team held accountable for reaching their targets and keeping customers? For example, is their pay structured in such a way that they're accountable in any way for customer retention at renewal time? Yeah, that's a great question. And <clears throat> in my role, I, I'm focused on the entire uh, customer life cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, as far as the account executives or the sales team, their compensation, um, changes based on their performance against quota. So uh, the the more they achieve above quota results, uh, the higher percentage and and accelerators kick in. Yeah. Um, so really aligned to to them driving to um, well exceed their quota because uh, their earning potential goes up so much uh, more. And mm -hmm. for <clears throat> for our business development function, our SDRs are compensated both on quantity of engagements as well as quality meaning does that does that engagement turn into uh, recurring revenue for the company mm -hmm. uh, so, so they're really compensated on on two levels uh, to help drive the behaviors that that uh, I think are most effective um, as far as the renewal piece we have a really strong customer success function at Maxwell mm -hmm. and they are compensated based on customer retention and are super focused on that. So uh, we do have a true um, sales team uh, is the hunters, if you will. And mm -hmm. our customer success function is the account management function of the business. Mm -hmm. um, and that and that works out well. That's very interesting. And I also, of course, love that you are paying your customer success folks um, on some level of a, a base plus as well. That is really, really cool. Um, Man, I feel like I'm going to come to you guys for consulting on uh, <laughs> incentive alignment in uh, compensation package packages. That's really fantastic. Um, how do you coach your sales team up on properly setting expectations for recurring revenue customers, those who have to continue to make the decision to buy from you month after month, year after year? Yeah, that's such a good question. Our, our approach uh, at a high level is that we have to earn our customers' business every month and year. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's how we, we approach it collectively. Um, it's really, really important on the sales side of the business that we sell what we have and we are transparent on what we don't have. So this even includes clear expectations around the onboarding and implementation process as an example. Um, mm -hmm. There should never be any bad surprises in what the customer experience is yes. versus what the expectations were set. Mm -hmm. um, and I really do believe in a recurring revenue environment, you do need to have a strong CS function as well. Uh, but that's, uh, it's all about the expectations up front and um, we will withhold uh, commission if those expectations weren't set up mm -hmm. uh, properly and we actively manage to it. Um, and uh, ultimately if a sales professional uh, consistently cannot set the right expectations, uh, then that's a clear sign uh, that, that we have to move on from 
uh, from that sales professional, regardless of what their performance was. Yes, that definitely makes sense. I mean, um, you miss out on your customer lifetime value big time if you get that early off ramp, you know, especially that sub 90 day churn. I bet you guys do a, a better job than a lot of people on um, that alignment. Sounds like your marketing and sales are so closely in touch and aligned that your MQLs match your SQLs and that sets you up for success on a recurring revenue basis. Um, so it sounds like you guys are, again, really on top of everything with regard to that. So well done. Um, I, I hope that a lot of our listeners can learn from you guys and, and emulate you. That's fantastic. Um, and are you guys currently in a hiring freeze? We are. We are. It's, it's um, kind of that, uh, that approach of uh, we're focusing on the worst case scenario from an economic impact mm -hmm. and, and certainly uh, uh, hoping that it's not nearly as bad as what we've prepared for. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, most people are in the same boat, but when you guys are sourcing talent, you know, where do you look, what works, what doesn't work? Yeah, there's, um, so first of all, we, we leverage, uh, places like built in Colorado, uh, to, to, to post roles in the source candidates. Um, maybe the single most important thing that I've learned from a mentor that, that I'll share today is as a sales leader, I spend um, very consciously about 10% of my time on an ongoing basis on passively recruiting and building a, a talent bench of, of candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that, that I was taught a number of years ago, and that works really, really well. Um, in previous lives, <clears throat> I've also uh, leveraged uh, recruiting partners uh, uh, very well also, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and that's... There are, there are some phenomenal uh, recruiters out there who will help you find those passive candidates um, who, uh, who, who will, are folks that you will get or be able to have on the bench or be able to engage with uh, that you normally would have never had access to. Yes, absolutely. I can certainly plug for recruiters, especially the subscription coach. <laughs> Yeah, without a doubt. And by the way, when this uh, is all said and done, I'll put in a plug as well. I'm just so impressed in how, um, in how you operate your business that uh, uh, you'll be the first person I call for, for recruiting services. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, well, in the past, when you have used recruiters or even when you're just using your own internal network, um, in those late stage interviews, how do you guys effectively assess candidates for both skills and cultural fit? Yeah, I'll start with cultural fit first. Um, I feel like that's the single most important area that most people don't spend enough time around. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we spend a, a, a lot of time in um, interview fit. Uh, that's, <clears throat> I think, a real testament. Uh, if if I look at Maxwell across the board and look at all the employees, um, we don't have any quote fat or 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 employees that are not contributing and and uh, and are not the, the the right fit for the company. So um, investing that time up front on the cultural fit is just so incredibly important. Um, and I learned that lesson the hard way in in, in a previous life. Uh, as far as the skill set, I, I have a series of questions that I use, and I what what I think is really important is drilling into very specific examples with candidates. So. Everybody says they solution sell. Everybody says they, they do a lot of outbound prospecting. Everybody says that they, um, 
overcome objections really, really well, uh, mm -hmm. all those type of things. Um, and the reality is uh, it, 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 that's not typically the case. So drilling into very specific uh, examples. Okay, you said, you said in a previous interview uh, when we talked that, that you do X, Y, Z really well. I want to dig into that further. Help me understand a couple of specific examples where, that, where you overcame this objection or, or did something. And then tell me about the times you failed doing it and, mm -hmm. and what stuck out to you. And mm -hmm. if people cannot articulate um, very good examples in, in a number of, of skills buckets, uh, then that to me is a, is a, red, is a pretty uh, glaring red flag. No, oh, absolutely. Uh, those are really good interview questions. Um, is there any secret sauce you'd be willing to share about how you guys test for cultural fit? I, I will tell you, we have, uh, uh, what I'll share is that we conduct interviews, face-to-face -face interviews um, with multiple stakeholders and, and stakeholders outside of sales. And they typically are uh, tasked with drilling into uh, our values as a company, which drives our culture, mm -hmm. and, and getting several different people to be able to give input around uh, their, their discussions as far as a cultural fit helps you triangulate uh, whether, whether that is a good fit or not. So it's not just me doing the interviewing or even me and just folks on the sales side. Um, we have our head of finance will conduct interviews and focus on culture fit. Um, our head of product will do so, um, our head of marketing and, and folks on the marketing team. So uh, we get a, a variety of stakeholders who are not interviewing for sales skill set, mm -hmm. um, but instead are, are, are specifically focused on values alignment and cultural fit. Perfect. I love that. Having many eyes on the issue. And it sounds like you guys have a well-defined and well-understood culture within Maxwell. And that is really kind of how you, where you have to start when trying to test for cultural fit. So I love that you guys uh, kind of do a rotation like that. That's great. Yeah. What's one to three pieces of advice you give other sales VPs competing in the subscription economy? And is that any different than what you would have said pre-COVID-19? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you three pieces of advice that I would give um, pre or post COVID-19. And then one additional one that I would give um, post uh, uh, COVID-19 environment. Um, the three that I would always give is one I mentioned earlier, always invest 10% of your time in passively recruiting and building mm -hmm. that talent bench. Mm -hmm. um, the second is uh, get really focused on the discovery phase of the sales process and, and spend a, a very good chunk of, of your time and engagements with your sales team in coaching and training and being involved in the discovery phase. Mm -hmm. And then the third is always focus on the top of funnel strategy and execution. Many times people want to focus on managing deals, um, but if you don't have the top of funnel uh, a strategy and execution working really, really well, then you're just never going to have enough pipeline to be able to deliver uh, on, on the revenue goals. Amen. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's also the part people avoid because that's the part people least like to do. So yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's something that, that, that's really, really important. Always needs, um, uh, like it always needs to be a top priority. Um, the one piece of advice I'd give post uh, COVID-19 environment is that, um, go out of your way to do additional one-on-ones with your team. Mm -hmm. 
really focused on investing in the personal relationships and that one-on-one time uh, with folks on your team even more now than what you ever did before. I like that. As you said earlier, you know, there's never been a better time to be a human and that can obviously be applied both internally and externally in your organization. Um, and since you're, I'm going to throw an extra quick question at you since you're really big on discovery and I love that. What are a couple of your favorite discovery questions real quick? Yeah. Um, I would say understanding, um, so help me understand what are your biggest priorities right now? And then, mm-hmm. and then somebody will share those. And then the follow-up question is, help me understand what the challenges are. You mentioned three priorities to me and where you're investing your time and focus. And that totally makes sense. Help me understand with each of those three, what are the barriers or what are the biggest friction points currently? Uh, people are going to open up and, and tell you about their current situation and where they feel pain and where they perceive they're struggling. And so I, I really, really like that uh, is kind of framing the discovery uh, phase and then drilling down to specifics from there. But I think that's important. The last one I'll throw out real quick is help me understand who else this impacts because you need to start getting an idea of the influencers yeah. and, and, and who, who else needs to be involved in the sales engagement. Um, but doing it in a way of help me un- helping me understand um, who else is impacted by this, who else is struggling, who else has the same challenges, I think is an important way to frame it. That's great. Those are big, big rocks to turn over at the beginning of a sales process. I like those questions. All right. Last question. I'm a firm believer that sales makes the world go round and we have a tremendous responsibility to get the economy moving again. How can we speed up that process? Yeah, that, that, that to me is a dynamite question. Um, This is a time where sales teams have to double down on their outbound effort and work really closely. If there's any friction or challenges working with your marketing partners, this is where you got to put egos aside and work really closely and improve that relationship or, or tighten that relationship with marketing. Um, so you're in this together from a, from a top of funnel perspective. Um, a, a great example, you could have your marketing team do a campaign out to uh, prospects or targets uh, uh, just around content about working remote. Um, but not ask them for anything in, in that marketing communication mm-hmm. and then have the sales team follow up uh, to run their outbound campaign uh, with those targets. Like you, you just, I think the way we get things moving again is as much as, and as hard as it is to do, you, everybody has to double down on that outbound effort um, because the more rocks, and I love that analogy you used earlier about flipping rocks. Um, I view outbound and prospecting and business development is all you're doing every day is just flipping a, a table of rocks mm-hmm. to, to find someone who has a need that, that you can help solve. And um, if you're before flipping 50 rocks a day, you got to find a way to put in the effort to flip a hundred rocks a day now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's so good. Um, and it's as closely aligned as you guys are with your marketing department at Maxwell. I'm sure you guys will have success with that effort. We all know, you know, the fastest path to success in sales is outbound sales. So I love the leading with a value forward initiative from marketing and then following up that up with uh, the sales team coming in and doing the deep dive on discovery to uncover needs and see if there's a way that you can help. That's great. 
Um, thank you again to Mike Brower of Maxwell for his insights and advice. Check out the show notes on subscriptioncoach.com slash podcast and sign up for my email newsletter where I read, curate, and summarize the best content on subscription sales and sales team recruiting on the web every week on subscriptioncoach.com. We'll see you next time on sales in the subscription economy.